0: To a new investor just getting started, put all your focus on finding deals. If you can find deals, you can do anything. You find the deal, you find the money, you can partner with somebody, you can do everything.
1: You're listening to another episode of the Home Point Experience, where we share our experiences from growing a real estate company, as well as the experiences of the friends we meet along the way. This is your host, Justin Dion, and today we have special guest, John Glenn. John is the founder of JMG Investments, which is a company that specializes in buying, rehabbing, and renting properties in the Western Massachusetts area. John also runs a team of real estate agents, helping them buy and sell properties. Well, helping other people buy and sell properties. (laughs) I'm excited to dive into the ins and outs of John's real estate journey and learn from his experiences. So John, thank you so much for taking the time and hopping on, and welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, man. Pleasure to be here. Always like to uh, chat it up with you. So,
1: definitely, brother. Definitely. So, John, I've actually known you for a couple of years now, but I don't know your backstory. So, could you please tell us, tell the audience and myself, you know, how did you get started in real estate?
0: Yeah. So, um, I've always been interested in real estate uh, since I bought actually my first home and uh, rehab my first home. So that's what kind of got my mind spinning. That was back in oh man, I don't even remember uh, 2006, I believe was the first time I bought a home, um, rehab that home. And then I just kind of opened my eyes. I always like to see the transformation of things. So I ended up getting my uh, real estate license shortly after that. And, uh, kind of haven't looked back. I mean, I've had some breaks in between. I got into the fitness business for a little bit, owned a gym, but kept kind of my investment side of stuff going. Um, but yeah, so 2008 was when I got my, my license and, uh, that's where it kind of all began. So
1: what a fantastic time to get a real estate license. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. So, so what were you doing before you, uh, you bought your first property?
0: Uh, work-wise just, um, you know, typical sales, different jobs, uh, just trying to find, find the path, you know?
1: Right. Right. So you just kind of taking what came your way, did some sales stuff and kind of led you into there. So you bought this property to actually live in though. Right. Or were you kind of doing like a house hack thing?
0: No, that was a uh, single-family home. I was getting married, and um, actually, I was rehabbing that house while I was living in Boston, um, and I was going back and forth, and then I ended up actually living at that house for a little while while my now-wife uh, finished up her her work in Boston, and then she moved, uh, moved back, so we brought her back to the hometown of Westfield, so... <laughs>
1: Well, that's incredible, man. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so you got your real estate license, 2008. Obviously, those are crazy times for real estate, you know, hitting that, like the, the peak, really, of the recession there. Um, starting bought at the, at the top, downturn. baby,
0: bought at the top.
1: <laughs> bought at the top, got into real estate at the top. Well, kind of at the bottom, really, because real estate got really tough right then. You know, people stopped buying as often. You know, the major, major laws came into place for mortgages. It became yeah. a lot harder to buy real estate. Uh, So how was your experience jumping in as a real estate agent in 2008?
0: So that was good. Obviously I was, uh, you know, I was younger then, um, maybe not as mature as I obviously am now, but just in general. Um, so I was still learning, you know, so I did well, um, my first year in real estate. Um, but I was, you know, cause I've always been a hustler and, and enjoyed sales and everything. So I did well, but it was, uh, I can't say it wasn't challenging. Um, but it was a it was a great experience uh, just getting in and uh, back then I mean it wasn't the same as uh, how it is now maybe it's my experience level but uh, there were a lot of different challenges back then so
1: yeah I can imagine I mean uh, what, what did that look like how, how did you uh, get clients how did you go about getting business back then
0: yeah I mean a lot of it was from people I knew just like you know you know how the sphere of influence and just Friends and family is a big part of your business, treating people well. Um, so just talking is, was the main thing. But, um, you know, I did get taught how to prospect back then. And back then, prospecting was very difficult for me. Uh, it was very intimidating, you know, with lack of experience and lack of knowledge. It's tough to just get on the phone and, and, and talk to people you don't know. So that is completely changed now. Obviously, it's it's very simple for me. Conversations flow. I don't care if people hang up on me; um, it doesn't bother me the least. So back then, that was uh, that was challenging for me to to learn that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I would definitely still say those challenges very much exist even now, even worse because cold calling has such a persona on it. You know, um, all the scams out there and stuff, it makes it very hard for new salespeople to come in and start cold calling. Uh, so, you know, I know you're really good now over the years of progressing and getting better and dealing with the, the, uh, rejection really on the phones and, and dealing with the, uh, you know, the, the fear of actually calling. Uh, so what would you recommend for people out there, you know, want to get started in sales um, and want to get into, you know, outreach marketing, really?
0: Uh, you got to do it. That's, I mean, I think that's a simple answer, but that's, that's the, the answer. Um, back in, you know, back when I, I got back into real estate, you know, jump ahead a little bit back in 2015. And what I did was basically pick up the phone and literally just got kicked in the teeth over and over and over and you get to a point where if you have either you need a, you need someone to tell you what to do with scripts or you know role play or who's been through it that can kind of coach you through those things or you just need to do research on Google and figure it out on your own and that's what I did back then um you know I'd get off the phone really frustrated um and I would research and I would listen to different people on the internet and podcasts and things And you would just write down all these different, you know, objections that you, how to solve them on the phone. And then as you get better and better with those objections, then you get more comfortable on the phone. Your confidence comes up, you get more knowledge and experience, and then everything just starts to kind of come together. But it does take a little bit of time and uh, obviously some persistence to, to go through that. So that's what I work on a lot with, um, you know, the agents is more of a mindset. It's not all about, you know, having the perfect script or anything like that. It, a lot of it is mindset. So,
1: definitely, man. Yeah. To summarize that real quick. So, really, like the three tips you got for a new person getting involved in outreach marketing, such as cold calling, is you got to have a good mindset. You got to change your mindset, get it right. You got to go out and educate yourself progressively you got to listen to your calls you got to got to go out there and research there's so much education out there like youtube is just full with it almost is too much but you just got to like research exactly what you want to work on and improve and you'll find it the information's out there and then uh thirdly is you just got to go out there and do it more you got to keep doing it put 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 the put the phone to the dial every day consistently right every day it's tough man
0: but you just got to do it
1: yeah i mean it's you get the the rhythm
0: you know i think the first like the, even for someone who's seasoned, who's used to doing it, like the first couple calls are hard. And then all of a sudden you just, you know, you have a couple in you and then you're in the zone and, and then you're going and an hour goes by and you're like, that wasn't so bad, all you know? And then tomorrow you feel the same way, but you do it
1: yeah i agree man i totally agree like i'm at a point right now with cold kong where it's like i'm past all that like i've i had the experience i got the the uh f so many times that it doesn't bother me at all anymore but i actually just started to pick up a new marketing channel in my company and how i see things in my business is i want to always try them first and i want to i want to perfect them and i want to systemize them and i want to show that it's possible so there's proof in the sauce um so like right now i'm doing door knocking and i'm i haven't door knocked in you know probably a couple years but I want to get back out there. I want to build the system up and make sure that it's doable. And, um, you know, I was, I was going, driving up parked outside a house. I'm sitting there like, maybe, maybe I shouldn't go knock on that door make all these (laughs) excuses come in your head and you're just fighting them. Like, all right, I got to go do it. I got to go, I got to get this business. And it made me realize a lot. And it made me realize that I got to, I got to be the one in the car with these, uh, with my, um, mentor mentees and push them out of the car to get them off their feet and go knock on those doors otherwise like your your brain your mindset won't be there enough to actually get you out and go do it um so i mean i'm going through that again which is pretty interesting and um you know i fought through it of course but there was like a house or two that i was like "Ah, i'll skip that one and then i did knock on one house and that house was actually it's probably a deal uh it's it's a it's a terrible situation that the homeowners are going through. Uh, the new homeowners, they inherited the property because their parents passed away. I seen a dumpster outside. And I, in my head, I was like, oh, there's a dumpster outside. Probably an investor already bought the property and they're already fixing it up and flipping it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go there anyway and just knock on the door. In public records, I didn't see any any change of deed. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go check it out anyway. And then you know, it's, it's the son that inherited the property. He's actually in the process of trying to sell it right now, not in the market. Um, so that could either be a listing or I give them both a listing agreement and an offer and they can decide from there. And that was my first day out door knocking. Um, so, you know, the power of outreach marketing is is absolutely incredible, right?
0: It's just a matter of doing it. And, uh, you know, it for someone like you getting that on, you know, one day out is, is awesome, but for others, it does take time. So you don't, you know, you can't get discouraged. You can't, things are not going to happen in a day. They're just not. So, and worst case scenario, like you said, with that dumpster, like you, you get, even if it was a contractor or somebody flipping the property now you got a good contact so i mean win-win they're just knocking on the door to see what's going on with the dumpster in the driveway and i think um you know to hit on your your point of getting in the car with your agents i think that's that's crucial for newer agents you got to get it interactive somehow because i see a lot of um, and i've actually switched this up recently that's why i'm hitting on it is you you have a game plan for people and all this great training and all this you know things. You can get anything you want on the internet. It's really not about the training; it's about the accountability and the handholding and the mindset to progress. You know your agents uh, forward because, like you said, a new agent sitting there in a car, scared to go in, plus not knowledgeable about real estate. Um, that's a lot to overcome. You know, even you said, even yourself, you're contemplating going, knocking on the door and you're an experienced agent. So um, I think the whole, the handholding aspect of, of uh, real estate and accountability with new agents is key to getting them over those humps to really show them that it can work instead of just handing them, you know, here's your training material. It's, you know, 120 hours, go to go nuts and let me know how you do in real estate. Um, that's just, you know, 90% of agents are going to fail doing that.
1: Right. It's a combination of things that really work. I mean, you got to provide the education, you got to provide the accountability to make sure they're actually getting after it and you can hold them accountable. Otherwise, you know, people are very hard to hold themselves accountable. Right. And then thirdly is um, you got to, you got to hold their hand through it and you really got to, you got to push them out there. So yeah, I I agree, man. I mean, that's definitely it for sure. And, but outreach marketing does work and it is tough though too, because, you know, my second day knocking, I knocked on about 20 doors and didn't get a single lead. And that's just the the part of the game. You just got to go out there and hit it after it every day. So so that's it it definitely works, you know. If you're out there listening and you are want to get into sales in any aspect real estate or not, like you got to do outreach marketing. It's it's part of the, you can do inbound marketing and like do like, you know, but it's very expensive. You know, if you want to go run very an expensive. ad, like it it costs a lot of money and the ROI is going to be tough sometimes. So if you're new into that, that's definitely the best way to go about it, I'd say. So, um, so right now, John, I mean, so let's bring it back to your story here uh, two thousand and eight, you got a real estate license. you were crushing it uh your first year right off the bat, you know, helping out your friends and family, and then started getting into the world of uh outreach marketing and prospecting and then you know, where did you go next? did you keep were you just a single agent, and you know what happened along your journey
0: yeah, so i I didn't stay in um I did well in real estate. I ended up getting offered. I'm trying to think what happened back then. I think I ended up getting offered a job that I took. um, And I actually ended up going out of real estate. I think like after like eight or 10 months, I think I closed like six to eight deals in those eight or 10 months, which is pretty good for a new agent. Um,
1: I'd say that's very good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I hit the ground running. I had some good people in the office. um, But I ended up getting out of real estate and eventually made myself, made my way to the fitness business. But in the meantime, I had still been, I still had bought a few properties and rehabbed them because that was really where I enjoyed real estate and where my passion was back then and still is now. Um, So to, to answer your question, it was a got out, kept the investments going, went into the fitness business for about five, six years, and then came back in 2015.
1: So, you, can we touch on real quick, um, about your experience in the fitness industry? Cause like I'm, I'm big into fitness. I want to open up a gym myself one day. So how was that experience open up your own gym?
0: It was hard. <laughs> um, I basically opened up, uh, so you'll actually appreciate this. I went, got my personal training certification. Cause I, I wanted to get into personal training I went to all these different gyms and tried to apply for jobs and, and as a personal trainer and all of them said, no, no, um, you know, you need to do your time uh, before you can be a personal trainer here. And then I got to one gym and I got hired. They told me they were going to hire me as a personal trainer. But when I got in there, it was very lack of personal training in all sales. It's all I had to do was sales. Um, and they wouldn't let me do what they told me they were going to let me do. And I ended up quitting And that's when I got really angry and just that day I quit and decided I was going to open up my own business because I knew nothing about personal training, nothing about fitness, but I couldn't get in the door of a gym that was going to help me move along. And again, I don't have a ton of patience either. I think if you put your time in just like anything else, it probably, you know, they're going to help you. But for me, I was like, there's, I don't see a good roadmap here for me at least not the way I wanted to work and develop a career. So I just skipped all that without any experience or anything and decided to open up my own gym. And it was a space in a old mill building, cobwebs, dirt, dust. I ended up just rehabbing the whole thing myself, painting, cleaning, flooring Um, from ground up. I started with one member and it went to two and then three. And then eventually I ended up having a nice little successful niche um, business, so it was it was a great experience, but it was a lot of hard work and just a lot of grind, just like anything else.
1: Right, right. You didn't want to go like the traditional model of like just building like a, uh, you know, like a like a workout world or a Planet Fitness where it's a very low cost, but people get the membership and they just forget about it and keep paying for it because it's so low.
0: Exactly. All my members were very close friends you know, it was very personalized. I could customize things to them. So it was a more expensive gym, but it was worth it because you got the attention you needed to actually get the results. And there's a lot of those gyms out there now. I was one of, I got in when it was a little bit newer and fresh, um, right around the time CrossFit was very popular and all that. So,
1: right. So it was just getting too hard. So you decided to get out of it and just go into real estate full-time.
0: I got burnt out of personal training. Um, Yeah, I just got burnt out. That's what it came down to. I was working eight, 10 hour days. I mean, you got, you know, when you're trying to be a cheerleader for eight to 10 hours a day and deal with people's mindset and excuses and and everything else, I just honestly didn't have too much into me anymore. And if I were to go back, I would have not sold my gym, I would have figured out a way to manage the gym um, as an owner. But um, I actually sold it to someone who's doing an awesome job there now. He was a perfect fit for it i actually hired him as a trainer and he ended up um buying the business which was great because he's the guy who wants he, who's doing a great job and you know it was nice to hand something off that you developed and then see it kind of nurtured and taken care of so that was cool
1: yeah man that's awesome that's definitely a really good feeling i, I would say but it sounds like i mean throughout all your experiences so far leading up until the point of where you're at now like it all led you there you know like you know being a personal trainer you Learned how to build and change and really create people's mindset, which is massively important for sales. I mean, it's massively important for anything that you want to do successful in life. And um, I think that like built you those skill sets to really be a really great manager um, of you know of a team of what you're doing now. So so you know right now you're running a, a real estate team. I know you ran a team uh, with another brokerage before the brokerage that you and I both were at. Um, so can you tell us a little bit on your experience of running a team of real estate agents?
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I run, I love running a team in real estate. I love training. Um, you know, I've always, you know, personal training, right. I trained, I have a background in training and and it, again, it's, it's a lot of mindset. Um, that's what running a team is. It's a lot of making sure that people are motivated and they have the right support and mindset and to keep them going. And, um, how do so you that's go about always, doing
1: that? How do you go about keeping and changing and improving people's mindsets?
0: Um, you know, I think you have to get to know them on a personal level, I think is big because you can't change people if you don't know how they are, how they think and what their challenges are. I think, you know, people are going to open up to you a lot more if you get to know them with their personal life. So they might, you know, it starts at home. If things aren't good at home with, you know, husband, wife, kids, uh, you're not happy, whatever it is. So, I mean, you kind of have to go there, um, or at least have a little bit of what's going on with people. You don't have to dig into their, you know, deepest, darkest secrets, but for them to be able to open up and tell you what's going on so you can have some empathy and really understand um, a lot of schedules for people are very, very challenging. So you have to understand people's schedules so you can kind of move things and tweak things around in terms of real estate um, to fit in what they need to fit in. And then you also need to know them on a personal level so you can call it their bullshit, um, you know, without them getting offended because, it, a lot of it's excuses. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm hearing what you're going through. I'm hearing your schedule. Here's where you can fit it in. And then it becomes, well, I, and it's like, no, you can, you just don't want to, or you don't have the effort to. So I think being realistic with people, um, with what they're going through their schedules and, you know, when they can actually do the work and when it's realistic for them to not be overloaded and get things done is important. So I try to take all that to into consideration and then it's um just making sure that they have the right tools in order to accomplish what they need to um, and then weekly accountability I think is huge um, It doesn't have to be one-on-one it can be in a group setting but um, you know having that accountability part of it is is big so
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, um, you know, one thing that I I focus on that question a lot, trying to really change mold and uh, improve people's mindsets, and I find it pretty increasingly difficult. Like, it's it's they have to really want to do it. And um, are you finding that that people actually are like that are showing up, that actually want to change their mindsets and want to become better, or they just say that and then they don't show it? Because that's what I feel like sometimes. I mean, I've been able to change a few people's mindsets and improve their their uh, personal development heavily, but it's still increasingly hard.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you're, no, you're absolutely right about that. Um, it's tough to, to get people motivated and, you know, they're gonna, in the moment they're pumped up, right. Cause you got a motivator behind them and, you know, they're like jiving what you're saying and how you're training and that they can do this and that. And, um, so they're excited at the moment and then they get off, you know, whatever training or whatever you've went over and they're still pumped, but then a day later, you know, they're in a different world. So I think it's, a, you got to pull them back and, and keep them coming to keep them, you know, motivated day after day. I think that's important. And then, you know, people are always going to say something and then do another thing too. So um yeah, it's tough to motivate people. It's something constantly you have to constantly be working on.
1: So yeah, that's, that's the real tough part about management. Like it's management's like you could try to systemize everything in business, but like you need someone constantly in your in your employees or agents face, motivating them, uh, holding them accountable. And you could like, there's no software for that. There's no system you can really build for that unless you hire someone and plug them in as like a, and that's the system, if you will. But that's a pretty expensive thing. So, <laughs> you know, everything yeah, else yeah. in business that can be systemized, but but holding your people accountable and and and, and increasingly educating them and and changing them for the better is uh, something you can't really systemize. That's something that's really a hands-on approach. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's a tough thing to do. And it's it's one of the most worthwhile things to do though. Um, but it's it's increasingly difficult, I feel like, for uh, managers and well, more so the business owners like yourself, you run a team and you have a bunch of other things going on. So, you know, you can only spend your time in so many areas at once. Um, so that's one of the ones that it sounds like you spend a heavy amount of time in, right?
0: Yeah, I do. I spend a lot of time with that. And I think it's about setting expectations for the people too. I mean, um, you know, real estate is, everyone wants to be a real estate agent or in real estate, but when it really comes down to the reality of it, like you're not, it's not all, you know, peaches and cream, you know, when you get into the industry, it's just not, it's a difficult industry. Um, So I set expectations up front and I want to let people know, you know, it's my job not to decide whether they're going to make it or not, or make the decision for them but to give them the tools to make the decision. So like if I don't have agents hang around that are not like I can tell, (laughs) I can tell pretty quickly who's making it and who's not, I don't like to make assumptions or anything like that, but there's some telltale signs for agents that aren't going to make it. Um, And I like to have that conversation with them in a nice positive way to make sure that I'm not steering them in the wrong direction either And then let them make their own decision. So it's kind of a touchy conversation, but um, too many people in the real estate industry get into it because they think it's, you know, all this glam and glory. And, um, you know, it can be definitely can be. It's very rewarding once you make it and and do well in it. But um, it's a tough business. So you
1: know, certainly. I don't, is that, I don't a, like
0: to sugarcoat it. Yeah. <laughs> I no, I feel don't. like
1: there's yeah. a lot of people with a high, high entitlement. I mean, I know I, I did when I was younger as well. I feel like it has a lot to do with our generation and uh, the, the content we're consuming on a regular basis. Everyone makes it seem like it's so easy to get, be, become successful. Um, but, you know, a lot of people aren't really showing the real true work, what it takes to actually become successful in anything, not just real estate. Um, and people have these, these ideas uh, from, from forming, from consuming this content, like, all right. This person at seventeen can become a millionaire from whatever he did or real estate per se. Um, so it should I should be able to do it too, right? But he, you don't see the, the work that goes into it or everything else that goes into it too. So there's a lot of stuff that go into everything to become successful and real estate. There's a lot to go into it. Um, some sometimes you can come right out the bat and be really good and have a good network and have a uh, be really good in sales. Other times it's going to take a lot of work. Dedication and um, really just trying to improve your personal development. Um, you know, if you focus on improving yourself one percent every day, you'll become successful uh, in 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 a matter of time. It's not if it will happen; it's when it will happen. More so, uh, you just got to stick to it and and continuously improve your personal development. So, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, John, is um you know you have a team. Um, Obviously the easier thing to do is to find a level players rather than creating a level players. So what are some things you're doing to recruit top level agents to come and work on your team and work with you?
0: Um, You know, I'm not really recruiting too many top level agents, to be honest with you. Um, We're more focused on people who are either new to the industry because we have a really good system in place for that. And Or people who aren't, who are like maybe a year or two in, maybe have done, you know, 10 deals, 15 deals total, and they just, they kind of got the systems down, but they need
1: accountability,
0: accountability, lead generation. They need to take it to the next level. They're making, you know, I I like to call it like maybe part time income, but we need to get them to full time income. Um, Those are the people that you can really mold because they haven't, they don't have bad habits they're just into the industry, but you don't have to train them from ground up either. So I like those people cause you can, you can get them to where they need to be much quicker. And it's, you know, it's hard to take a new agent and bring them from brand new to I'm productive, uh, meaning like I can do this full time and actually live on it. So I think the, the higher end agents up there that have been in the industry a while, um, you know, they're going to make their own decisions. They're going to, uh, you know, kind of do what works for them. And I think they have a certain picture in their mind. So unless somebody, and we have a a few, a couple on our team that are getting there, but um, unless they come to me, I don't really reach out um, because I kind of know my niche and what I'm good at. So I kind of stay there.
1: So there's nothing you're doing in terms of like trying to recruit newer agents even.
0: No, I'm doing recruiting for newer agents. So we're doing a lot of like social media. I do a lot of networking events um, we do have, you know, attraction things that we have in place, um, but I'm not like actively picking up the phone and calling agents. I think everyone's doing that. And it, I'm not saying it doesn't work. It absolutely works. Um, but I just don't need to attract agents that much. I'm not I'm not playing the numbers game with agents. I'm looking for agents that are going to come to me for a reason because they're attracted to what I'm doing and they feel like my team's a good fit. Um, as opposed to reaching out and just plopping them on my team just to have another agent on my team, so that's yeah, really I, been the focus is longevity within the team. I don't, I don't have any interest in training an agent for twelve to fifteen months and then having them go because it's not the right fit. That's a waste of both of our times. Well, more my time, I think. But, um, <laughs> yeah, they'll get the not, training out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just not interested in that. So I want to make them the right fit. Um, and if, you know, we're talking to our agents in the team and, uh, you know, we don't, we don't encourage people, we, we encourage people to develop. And then eventually the way that our business model is set up is, um, we're hoping that you actually do grow a team because it's going to benefit myself as well. So it's always pushing them forward. If, if, if a team and developing a team's right for them.
1: Right. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. I mean, especially like the, it's, it's, it's about your time you put into teaching, coaching, mentoring these people. It's about the money you're putting in for lead generation. And and if they're not like good converting those leads, it's obviously a waste of money there as well. So, I mean, I totally get that. I mean, you know, with my business, I, I learned this the hard way (laughs) I scaled up to probably, um, you know, when I first started, I had started out with three people, we uh, got some deals and then I was like, all right, What we got to do here is we just got to expand on what we're already doing. So if we have three people and we get three deals, if we get six people, we should get six deals, right? But that's not how it works. (laughs) It can work sometimes if you do it (laughs) right. But obviously, there's a lot of other things along that way. So I scaled up from three people to like 12 acquisitions managers uh, within, I don't know, a a month or two months. (laughs) And then quickly learned uh, that that was way too much to take on and then scaled back um, down to... Probably four people at that time, and now we're down to just two acquisitions managers that are fully trained, um, you know, fully up to our standards, and they're able to take a lead I give them, and I know with confidence that they're going to be the ones with the best ability to close it. Uh, you know, they're not me, obviously, but they're they're a close second, and um, that's what it's all about having people that are 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 worthwhile that. Are going to come in. They they see the value of the longevity of the business, um, and they want to grow with it. And they want to. They're going to be there for a while, right? It's it's a worthwhile thing when someone's going to stick around. So, um, you know, it, it's it's uh it's it was a quite learning experience for me to go through that for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you got to you know the other thing is you got to pay them. I mean, they got to get paid. Like, see oh, yeah. too much in in this industry of agents just not getting paid, but they need to get paid in order to stick around. I mean, if you're not happy with a pay um, after you do a real estate deal, you know how they go, you know, they're not easy. So you get that paycheck, you look at it and you, what is this? You know, it's gotta be worthwhile, that paycheck at the end. And that's, that's an important aspect of it. So if you're going to train an agent for 15 months and then have them leave because of pay, you need to have, it's not just like your friends and, you know, you're a good trainer and everything. Uh, There's a crucial part and that's what's my commission at the end of the day. So.
1: Right. I see a lot of teams that, you know, I feel like not not to say they take advantage of uh, newer agents, but um, because they do provide a lot, they provide a lot, but they do also take a lot as well. Um, You know, so I definitely see that a lot, uh, a lot in this industry for sure, especially brokerages as well. That's why, you know, I'm a big fan of VXP. I'm I'm going on to create my own brokerage, of course, but I'm a big fan of VXP because of that. You know, they don't provide a lot of support and education. They, They have it out there. I know they do. I don't take advantage of it personally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I feel like, you know, it's not hands-on, of course it's all virtual. Um, but they the brokerage itself is incredible because of they're actually being able to pay you a lot, a lot more than most brokerages out there. Um, do you care to touch on exactly what that model looks like with commission and splits between your agents and yourself? Or if not, we can skip over that.
0: Yeah, sure. I'll hit on it with, uh, with the XP anyway. Um, So EXP is an 80, 20 for everybody. What I like about that is it's not, you're a, you know, high producer versus a brand new agent and you have two completely different commission models. It's it's 80, 20, no matter who you are, it doesn't matter. Um, Your cap's 16,000. So once you've gone into the company and paid in 16,000, you cap, you go to a hundred percent. You have to pay a small fee for per transaction. Um, Just, you know, admin type stuff to, to close out the transaction. And then if you close a certain number, I think it's, um, don't quote me on this. I I should know this, (laughs) but I think it's an extra 15 deals after you cap, um, you become an icon. And if you become an icon status, then you get your entire $16,000 cap back, which is unheard of in the industry. And then you also have the, the option to, um, take, um, eXp stock out of your paycheck or buy eXp stock out of your paycheck at a 5% discount. And, uh, you know, so you have that going as well. So there's a, and then there's the revenue share portion of eXp, which is all the controversial and uh, which is crazy in my opinion, but uh, yeah, so there's a lot of different revenue streams that you can get through eXp. It's a massive, massive company. The opportunity is, is huge. Um, so big people some people don't even recognize it because they haven't looked into it yet enough because there's a lot to learn about it. But that's the general splits for EXP, and you know, there's a lot more to the company, but um coming on as a brand new agent, an eighty twenty split is fantastic. And I but to be quite honest with you, I think the people who benefit the most from EXP are the people that um there's a lot of people that are going to be coming over, but high producing agents actually make much more because they can benefit from all of the commission structure that, you know, all the revenue structures that Eamesby has. So um, if you are a high producing agent, check it out. Don't be narrow minded.
1: I agree. I mean, I was uh, on the fence of, you know, obviously starting my own brokerage versus staying at EXP and just building a team that way Um, just because how incredible it is. And honestly, it has a lot more benefits to staying at EXP versus owning your own brokerage because it's nationwide. You know, I can recruit an agent in Texas and get compensated through the revenue stream of recruiting them off every deal they do. Um, And I I don't have to help them at all. Like I just brought them onto the company like that itself is really powerful and incredible. Uh, so the, the potential of it, you know, like the network marketing type thing, the multi-level marketing, uh, is, is incredible. There's a lot of money made and all the other benefits as well is is great. Um, you know, for, for my personal businesses and everything I'm trying to build, um, you know, my, one of my main goals in life, like money aside, like, and potential aside, like, I just want to grow a household name. So like, obviously like starting your own brokerage is the only way to do that. Like just starting your own companies, having your own name on it, your own face on it. Um, that's just something I care more about than money. So money aside, like, I just want to build my own thing. And that, that when I, when I come to a decision and I'm like, what are my long-term goals? All right. My long-term goal is to build a household name. All right. So I got to stamp my name on everything I do. And um everything that's not not really coinciding with that, I gotta either I gotta move on quickly. And that's just kind of how it is for me and EXP. I love them, they're a great company. And honestly, if anyone's out there and wants to get involved in EXP, reach out to John here and uh, at minimum he can he can tell you about the advantages and disadvantages of joining and uh, he could hook you up and maybe even join join the team there.
0: Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, and you've done an awesome job. I've seen you grow and you're just uh you're just cranking. So
1: Thanks, man. Appreciate okay. it. I'm definitely more involved in hustle. Uh, investing. Hustle. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm, I, I love the investing 20 times more than helping people buy and sell. Although I do get a heavily intrinsic value from helping people buy and sell. But like as an, as an investor, I, mean, I work very uh, intimately with homeowners that I want to sell. And these homeowners that I typically work with are in really, really tough situations. So realistically, I get a, a way higher of an intrinsic value because I'm really helping them out where no agent would go above and beyond like what I do you know I'm helping this this client right now um, literally I'm going there on Monday to go help pack up her house with her and uh, put all of her stuff in a moving van and I, I literally helped find her a house in Tennessee I'm buying her house in Massachusetts and uh, we're, we're do, I helping her a to Z like um, unfortunately, awesome, her husband died, and she, her husband was the one that did everything for her. So now she, she's just helpless. She, she's, uh, she doesn't know what to do with anything. So, um, you know, a lot of agents probably wouldn't go and be up, uh, above and beyond like that because of the amount of money they'll probably make or whatever it is. But. You know, I'm able to really help this person. We're able to make a good amount of money off it as well. And it's 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 very awesome to to go above beyond like we're doing. Like we're really taking care of this lady. And it and it just feels great. So I mean the investment side of it's just so much more rewarding for me. Uh so let's dive into the investing side for you, John. So you know, obviously in, in, you know, starting the gym, buying your first property, starting a real estate team, um, you know, you're acquiring properties every so often. Um, what, what did that look like for you? And, you know, how did that look? You know, how many, how many properties have you acquired and really what's like your investment strategy?
0: Oh, uh, yeah. So my first property was back in 2008. Uh, I think it was 2008. Um, still have that property today and it's still a headache today. So <laughs> Um, that was my, I call it my college education. It was, you don't know what the hell you're doing, but jump on in. And I did. And, uh, you know, it was good for a while and then some things shifted in the market and, you know, things that I wouldn't make mistakes on anymore, but I did back then. So that's, it's been a great learning experience. It's given me a lot of thick skin. So I don't look negatively on it, although I could do without the, uh, the investment right now, but, um, you know, we're holding on to it and, um, We'll get through that one, but after that one, um, I ended up with a couple others that I've sold um already. Um, uh, my long term right now um is just buy, rehab, and hold. I'm a huge component of the burst strategy and you know, long term, the the amount of money, not just money, but the amount of assets and um, everyone says you know, you can make all this passive income and everything through real estate investing, which is true, but you know, that doesn't happen till a lot later. Um, You know, I'm at the point now where I'm starting to accumulate a good amount of units and your business at some point starts to snowball. So I started out slow and, you know, I would say in the past three years is when I've gotten the majority of my momentum um, from a couple good deals that, you know, you're going to hit some singles and some doubles, but I, I fortunately hit a couple, I'd, I'd even go to say maybe home runs on, on a few that have really just kind of pushed me out in front and allowed me to do some things. Um, so that's been working well, but yeah, long-term holds man, uh, is where I'm really focused. I have this, Burning desire to just own a ton of properties. I don't know why. I've definitely gotten beat up and have experienced through tough situations and tough times with tenants and and holding properties. But um, it hasn't, you know, if it hasn't knocked me down yet, I don't see it knocking me down um, because I've I've been through a lot with it. So I just keep going. I don't know what it is. I have this passion for. Wanting to own stuff.
1: <laughs> I think you just—it's just the potential of it, man. You see, like the possibility of the the future outcome of owning those properties, and honestly, it's incredible. I I see it too. I know I know that desire you're talking about, man. And it's uh, it's like it's like all right, I'm gonna buy this property now, and I'll probably make a million dollars off this one property, or half a million dollars, or a couple hundred thousand dollars off it in due time, or over the course of owning it, I'll make well over a million dollars because you probably will off a lot of them. Um, you know, it's it's just the potential of the cash flow that you're getting, you know, month after month, year after year, and the equity you're building. Um, you're paying down your mortgages with the renters; like it, it's all incredible. Uh, and there's just so much potential in owning real estate. Like there's just and the tax advantage as well. Like there's there's no reason not to own real estate, really. So I totally get yeah. that desire there.
0: No, I I mean, real estate has so many different um, things that you can benefit from that people don't really know. Like I have I have people call me you know, as clients and they're like, I want to buy real estate in my first, you know, a a multifamily or an investment. My first question is why? Right. And a lot of them say, I want to um, establish a second income or I need this to help me pay some more bills. And I go wrong answer because that really is the wrong answer. Like any money you make on real estate right now in your first 10, 15, 20, you know, whatever it is, it's going back into the, you know, the building. Um, you're having a bad tenant, you're having a new roof or a furnace or a boiler or or a leak or plumbing or whatever it is, you name it, it's there. So, like, I always tell everyone, you're not depending on it for cash flow, that comes later when the mortgage is paid. Um, and people don't understand the tax, you know, um, savings that you can get off of. You know, if you have, especially if you're, you know, make good money from an income standpoint, maybe your wife or husband also does. Um, the amount that it can really help you write off of taxes and everything is just tremendous. So, um, that's what I really focus on with real estate. A a lot of times, you know, I'll look at my profit and loss at the end of the month and it's like, all right, I didn't do as well as I, I was projected to right this month, but it's like my mortgage, my bills, everything's paid. Like I have this tax write off. It's a no brainer for me. So I think a lot of people don't look at, you know, the appreciation of real estate I don't think they look at you know depreciating real estate and what that can do from a tax standpoint that's one of the main reasons I want to buy multiple buildings a year is just for the depreciation of them so um it makes a lot of sense not just uh but ultimately the main thing is your building needs to cash flow I think that's probably the biggest principle that you really need to make sure lines up is the cash flow of the building else you could get into some trouble so
1: Definitely, man. I mean, you know, the one thing that I, I I heard in there a little bit ago, which is incredible, is like, you know, when you when you got those couple of home runs uh, that you did in real estate, you know, a lot of people would have had the, um, not the ability to reinvest that and buy more properties. They probably would have uh, wanted to take some of that gratification instead of delaying it even further and uh, going out there and. Buying some nice things, getting a, a new couple new toys or whatever, and, and using right. that as a luxury versus reinvesting it. I mean, I, you know, you got to have the mindset of like long term, long term always. You got to keep rolling it back in, no matter what. Like, obviously, take some out, have some fun, do whatever you need to do uh, to keep yourself going. But realistically, you got to roll it back in. You got to buy more and try to keep building. Otherwise, like, what are you really doing it for? You're doing it for short term, then you're you're in the wrong place. Realistically, there's other other ways to get rich short term, uh, in my opinion, versus trying to buy long term holds. Yeah. Um, another thing there is, you know, you talk about depreciation, which is, uh, it's definitely an incredible thing. Are, are you doing a uh, cost, uh, cost segregation studies at all?
0: I haven't got into that yet. Um, I probably should, um, I just, I'm not knowledgeable enough about it or, or uh, I guess I'm lazy. Um, haven't really looked into it, you know, although I I've read about it and everything, it's something that, um, yeah, definitely in the future.
1: But it's yeah. It's it's more so when you're making a a shit ton of income uh, on books, um, and like that have no write offs. Uh, and you need more write-offs, you're paying the government, or they want it, you they they're asking you to pay them fifty thousand, dollars hundred thousand dollars plus. Do a cost segregation study. You you uh you get all the depreciation uh, appreciation of your property up front, which could be you know tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on what assets you own. Um, and you know, I know I know some very wealthy people that are doing this, and they're buying a property every single year, not to buy it for cash flow, not to buy it for equity, not to buy it for appreciation. They're buying it just for this one strategy, the cost segregation yeah. study, because this is getting them an immense write-off you know i know everyone listening out there john you probably know as well as like you know a lot of people uh just De- december 29th they're, they're uh december 30th uh they're going out and buying a brand new car and why are they doing that they're doing that for the cost write-off you know you're you're able to write off the whole depreciation of that asset even if you didn't even pay any money for it even if you got it on um you know, on monthly payments, you can write off that whole amount for that car up front that, that single day. So, you know, uh, next year rolls over, you write that car off uh, as, as an appreciating, depreciating asset, you know, you paid $50,000 for that car. you Realistically only paid 20 or 30 for it, uh, it could, because, uh, you know, the size of it, I think it has to be like 5,700 pounds or something like that. Um, You know, so like, it, it's the same thing with real estate and uh, it's, it's a crazy strategy. So yeah, man, I would definitely look into that, you know, you being where you are right now um i mean if you're paying a lot in taxes at least
0: <laughs> yep. yeah yeah no, that's definitely next step And i think uh well i mean obviously you can benefit more from cost segregation on bigger properties right i mean that's uh they're going to have more to to depreciate
1: of course man yeah i mean personally I, i'm I used to have the thought that I want to own 100 units one by one or two by two, or even buying 10 units plus. Now I completely changed that mindset. And realistically, all I want to do is buy hundred unit buildings, uh, 250 unit buildings, 200 uh, unit buildings. And obviously, It's not an easy task to do, but with syndications and bringing in partners, uh, it's definitely doable. You definitely need some money to do it, but uh, and and of course with this uh, cost segregation study, like that would be incredible uh, for that as well, uh, because you can write off millions of dollars uh, right there and then, which is which is obviously incredible. So are you? uh, So you're obviously burning these properties, meaning buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. Uh, Great, great uh, investment strategy termed by Bigger Pockets podcast host Brandon Turner. He has a book, Burr. Uh, I would definitely, if someone's listening out there, go out and grab that book if you want to learn more. It's an incredible strategy. So you're doing this. Uh, The main thing that I see uh, that people struggle with to do the strategy is finding uh, deals that make sense for it. Because obviously, when you go out to get a cash out refinance, uh, once you bought the property, you fix it up, you rent it out, um, and you want to get that cash out refinance to pay off your hard money lender and and pay off all the repairs that you put into the property, um, or at least most of it. Um, it's hard to get it so it appraises at you know, 70, 80, all the way up to 90% of the after repair value of um, the house. So to get the back the money, you really need to pay off all your debt. Um, yep. So are, how are you able to find properties that make sense for this strategy?
0: Uh, so lately I haven't, um, but back you know two two years ago, I, I did. Um, it, it's a tough market to make a burr work right now. Uh, I, actually, I don't want to say that it's harder now to make a burr work as of right now um, so you know back then you know we refinanced out we pulled out some extra cash right we got our initial investment back pulled out a little bit of extra cash which allowed us to make some other moves um, now you you know if if you do a burr and you know you get back your initial investment you should be happy about that right you just got into a property for no money or even if you had to put in 10 grand. Maybe you got back the majority of your cash you put in, but you had to leave 10 grand in the deal or 15 grand in the deal. I mean, you're still getting into a deal for 10-15 grand. So, that's really what you should be thinking about as of right now, I think as an investor. Um one you want, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't want money in the bank. I want it in assets. So, you know, I'm going to get into any deal that makes sense. I'm not going to overpay or get in a bad situation hopefully, but I'm, I'm looking at that kind of level of, Hey, even if I got to leave 10 grand at a deal, that's a deal. And uh, you know, I'm happy to get one right now. So uh, that's what I've been looking at, but you know, they're hard to come by right now. Um, I do have one in the works right now that I'm excited about um, but it's actually making it's, it's on that, it's on that line of, should I do it? Should I not? And with rising construction costs and concerns and, you know the shipping containers and and inventory problems i'm like am i do i need to go back do i need to you know pull another 10 15 out of this you know get them down a little bit further because it's it's on that line so
1: yeah i mean there's I a have. lot of pros and cons right there because obviously you own some properties so that means the value of all the properties you do own have gone up incredibly over the past year, past two years. I mean, upwards to 30, 40% on some of them, I bet, which is absolutely incredible. It gives you the ability to go ahead and go get another cash out refinance if you wanted to, um, or just refinance them in general to get in better terms or... Don't do anything, but regardless, those properties are worth a lot more now, which is incredible. Uh, the hard part that there is is there's no deals out there, and I mean, you know, I find it increasingly hard still to find deals, and that's my company. That's what we focus on. That's our main strategy in our company is to go <laughs> and find good off market investment opportunities, and it's still increasingly hard for us. I mean, we're able to do it, um, but only few and far between. I mean, we're just we're just getting home runs every so often, and you know, it's keeping us afloat, but it's definitely very hard. It's definitely still very hard. and um you know, I think everyone's experiencing that in the investing market right now. um you know that it is it is hard to find deals right now. And you know, for a bunch of reasons, one, the property value. two, no one really wants to move right now because of the, every the everything going on, obviously with covid, like it's it's a lot of stuff going on there's a lot of unknowns in the marketplace. You know, construction costs are going up. Materials are going up. Everything is going up in price. Um, So less people are probably building right now. Um, So there's just a lot of unknowns in the market. And, you know, we're going to see some major shifts, I imagine, in the next uh, 6, 12, 18 months. We have to. I mean, something's going to happen. Something has to happen. We're building up for something. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, What do you think that looks like?
0: uh, I don't know. I mean, nobody, nobody knows. You said it. And, um, you know, I don't think there's going to be a huge foreclosure issue. I think foreclosures are, you know, the reports on foreclosures right now—it's like they're so high. It's like they're really not. It's just, um, you know, the data is just off. It's it—it it depends on the headline. Don't look at the headline because the the headline is just a clickbait. I don't. I don't know. I
1: mean, I, I've I've like, been I've been looking heavily at pre foreclosures lately, and um, you know, I, I have this document I look at, and it it updates uh, I think weekly or daily. And every time it updates, there's like four more new pages on there. And there's like 10 properties on a page. And this is, uh, I think, all over Massachusetts. Um, But, you know, they're definitely picking up. They're definitely, there's a lot of properties on there. I mean, uh, right now I looked in the past, I don't know if it's the past year. I think it's the past year and there's 350 on there. Um, But it's definitely picking up a lot of um, notices going out and stuff. And they're definitely backlogged. Uh, so I don't know if it's going to have like a major push or what's going to happen, but um, it does look like it's, uh, I mean, obviously it was eventually going to start picking up a little bit. I just don't yeah. know what a a real big pickup looks like. I haven't experienced that. So we'll, we'll just kind of wait and see, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're going to go into a ton of foreclosures. I think, um, I mean, pre-foreclos- pre-foreclosures have picked up, but I think there's too much equity in people's homes. Um, I do stay, still think there'll be, deals to get. Um, but going forward in the next, you know, year or two, it's it's really hard to say what's going to happen. I think they're they are predicting that home values are going to continue to increase. So, you know, that's a factor. Um, I think it depends a lot on what you know the government decides to do and how much intervention they keep doing. Um, but yeah, we got some major I don't I don't know how it's all gonna pan out. I mean, right now we're seeing the market kind of flatten and by flatten it's not, you know, it's still a seller's market. So it's just you're not getting 10 offers, you're getting four. <laughs> so I mean it's still crazy out there. But you know, buyers have chilled out. they I think they're sick of, you know, just competing and competing. And um it's gonna be interesting. I think I think the winter's gonna be a little slow. You know, your your motivated buyers and sellers are still gonna be out there like normal. But I think once we get into spring, um it's going to be interesting to see if the buyers are like, you know what, how long can I actually wait for if I want to buy a home? Because I don't see inventory challenges changing. There's always going to be, you know, there's not enough builders building. There's supply issues are going to stay around for a little bit. So inventory is always going to be an issue for the next, you know, 12, 24 months. And that's going to keep the, the market where it needs to be. Again, like you said, our foreclosure is going to, you know, help that out. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but there's just too much going on right now to, to not have something happen, uh, sometime soon with everything the government's doing. So we'll have to see, but no, I don't think anyone has the answer. That's the hardest part. I mean, I listen to like, just like you every day, I'm on a podcast, like, you know, and I keep hearing the same information over and over and no one has any new answers. Like that, that's what I hear. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's all speculation. I mean, we no one knows what's going to happen, right? The only thing we can do is kind of take the information that's provided to us and kind of make some uh, educated uh, guesses and um, theories on what may happen. But you're right. I think it really all comes into play of what the government does in the next couple of months to, um, to mitigate some of this stuff. I mean, we have some major problems going on right now. And uh, I, I, something has to happen. You know, I mean, prices are probably going to continue to increase. The buyers are probably going to continue to decrease, and you know what does that look like? That's a shift in in uh, economics right there. You know, it, and it could be a buyer's market, but with prices still going up, but being a buyer's market, like how does that even add up right there? But it would only make sense that they would continue to rise because of everything else continue to go up: gas going up, uh, transportation going up, building costs going up, the cost to build going up. So it's it's just an interesting. Um, Thing that we're going to go through, but it really does depend on what the government does to put into place to affect some of this stuff for sure. I mean, that's going to have to do with everything, most likely. Um, yeah,
0: and I think another on your point about foreclosures too, like um, you know whether they're going to happen or not. I, you know, heating costs are going up, utility costs are going up. That's something that hasn't happened as much in the past. Like, it, it, what I mean by that is, you know, I can choose whether or not I have enough money to go out to dinner or go buy. You know, a fun toy or, you know, whatever type of extra go golfing, you know, an extra day a week. And, you know, that extra money, I have a choice whether I'm going to spend it or not. When you're talking about heating bills and taxes and things like that going up, especially heating, utility, um, you don't have a choice. You have to pay that. It's not like I'm going to be like, oh, I'm not going to heat this winter, you know? Um, so I think that could play a big role with the amount of you know, that going up. Um, so we'll have to see how that all works out too.
1: Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think like, like what you said, I think there's going to be so much equity in these properties that, you know, if, if people are going through foreclosure, pre-foreclosure, starting that process, get served a notice, or they're just unable to make payments right now. I mean, there's, go talk to your bank. I mean, you could work something out. And I think there's going to be a lot of that going on. And it actually is. I mean, you know, yesterday when I, I was talking to a homeowner and, um, you know, they were like, you know, it was a pre foreclosure. I uh, went over there to see if I could provide them any assistance. And they were like, you know, we're actually we just we just spoke to the bank. We worked out a plan that you know within five years uh, the whole house will be paid off, and uh, so long as we we keep to our agreement, they'll keep to theirs, and uh, there'll be no issues. We won't get foreclosed on nothing, um, and that's really they were able to do that because they have so much um, you know earned equity in the past year or two years yeah. from the appreciation in the market. Um, so it, yeah, I mean you know two years ago they probably wouldn't wouldn't be able to make that deal, or they might be able to make something there, but most likely not as as um, as good of a deal, right? So like I think there's gonna be a lot of just deals. Going on, and just homeowners have to know that they have the power to go out and do that, have those conversations, and that's one of the things that I want to um, educate homeowners on. That's what I first and foremost do. You know, here's here's your steps of uh, your, your possible solutions that you're going through. You're going through foreclosure, okay? You know, let's we can go talk to the bank. We can go get a uh, renegotiate a mortgage. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of possibilities that they that they have really, especially right now. So I, I don't I don't see a steep increase. Uh, in foreclosures, but uh, I mean, they're going to be serving the notes. I mean, they're, they're definitely going out, but I just see a lot of deals being made because the banks don't want to deal with that. Um, the, you know, the homeowners obviously want to have a, you want to fix that. Most of these people want to stay in their homes, of course. Uh, so I, I just see a lot of people working out stuff. I don't, I don't see it, you know, going like 2008 again, where people are just getting kicked out of their house left and right and, you know, have a, have a crazy uh, housing epidemic like that, but Hey, you never know. You yeah. never know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have two examples actually that are complete opposites, but and uh, I won't go into detail just for time. But one is someone was way behind on their mortgage. I mean, I'm talking thousands and thousands, like 50,000 50, plus on their mortgage, um, and they actually ended up talking to the bank, and they they're good now. Um, they came up with a plan, so that goes to show, you know, I think it depends on the bank, but um, you know, they ended up working it out and they're good for right now. So hopefully they, <laughs> they figure that out, but, um, they got a hill to climb, but you know, at least they're okay for now. And then another one is, you know, uh, being behind on taxes, just minimal and the bank's not working at all with you. So, um, those are things I've, I've experienced with two different people. So, uh, you know, it, it, it all depends on the bank. It seems, I, I don't know. I, I I don't have the answers, but for, to your point, it's talk to the bank, right? Like if you're behind on your mortgage, don't just be behind on your mortgage. Like there are solutions. Banks don't want to foreclose; they're not in the business of foreclosing. Cost them a lot of money to foreclose. So if you can work something out, then you know get a hold of the bank and work something out. Be communicative. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree, man. I mean that—that's what it has to do with everything. You never know until you try, right? So, so what's your um, what's your future plan for investing? Looking like just continue to try to try to lock up deals where you can.
0: Yep, that's it. Um, everything's, you know, I feel good about my direction right now. I feel good about. I used to be pretty conservative about getting one deal, rehabbing it, looking at my numbers, and being like, okay, this deal's good. Let's go on to the next now and start searching. Now I'm a little bit more of, let's get more aggressive with searching, maybe take on a couple deals at a time, two, three deals at a time, um, cause the confidence levels there. And, you know, um, so I think it's scale quicker would be the answer and, uh, really get, you know, a legit business going. I've made some moves to outsource a lot of different things within my business, um, which has freed up time, which has been good. So Um, that would be the next move just, I think, to scale and again, get good systems in to find deals, which as you said, is very challenging, not just now, but just in general, um, and be consistent with your approach with that to keep deals coming in. So
1: awesome, man. Awesome. Are you looking at any like, uh, like fixing flips or anything, or are you just still trying to build the long-term investments up?
0: I'm not a big fan of flips. Um, I just don't like paying taxes on the flips. I think it's a lot of risk. Um, you can almost get a similar result from cashing out and refinancing.
1: So you could do nope. both, though, right? So like that's what I, um, I've learned is like I, I don't know if there's a time frame in it for what, but I know doing cash out refis takes time. But you can do a, a fix and flip, cash out refinance, and then sell because doing the cash out refinance, it's it's a non taxable event, right?
0: Right. If you cash out and refi, then you know that money you're cashing out on is actually you know it's included in your mortgage, so you're not getting tax on that money that you're. You know, you got to pay your mortgage.
1: <laughs> so if you so can it, find a really good lender, get all the way upwards to 90% taken out, then if you sell it, you're only you're only uh, at a loss of 10%, which um, will only tax on really 10%, which is pretty incredible, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're only, I'm trying to think of how the numbers work on that. Um, so say, say you bought a
1: house for 100K, you put 50K into it, uh, say it appraised that 200K. k. I'm probably be a little bit off of these numbers, but, you know, say um, you get 90% on that. That's uh, what, $180,000 back. Uh, these are just random numbers, of course. Yeah, um, yeah, if yeah. it was appraised at 200K, you're all in for 150. You get taken out 180. Um, obviously, you know, this is just random numbers here. So then you'd go ahead and sell it on the market for 200K. Uh, you would only be taxed on 20K right there, uh, I believe. I'm not a, obviously an expert in this uh, or uh, financial advice here, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works.
0: I would have to run some numbers in my head to, to, to answer that question, honestly. I don't know um, for sure. It's going to depend on what you bought it for, ultimately what you put into it. So, your yep. baseline and then what you sell it for. Um, but I'm referring to just specifically the amount that you cash out from. You're not paying any taxes on that because it's included in your mortgage and you're paying a mortgage payment.
1: Exactly. So, yeah.
0: when yeah. you're, and what you're saying is correct. When you're, you know, when you're going to flip a property, you make that margin, whatever that margin is, you get taxed on the whole thing. Um, so it's good. I mean, you make good money if you do it right. Um, but for me, I'd rather like maybe make, you know, instead of making $40,000 on a flip and paying taxes on it, I'd rather make 15 or $20,000 on a cash out refi and not pay any taxes and still hold that asset.
1: Right. So no, hundred percent. I mean, it just makes it, more personal,
0: sense. Personal yeah. choice, I think. I mean, there's not a right or wrong answer. It's just, what are your goals? You know, that's
1: what Oh yeah. Of course. That. I mean, I see a lot of people, um, you know, they're, Either starting out or in in between, where they do kind of a mix of both, where they do some fix and flips to raise more capital to throw those into other properties, and they can use those other properties for long term investments. Um, You know, yeah. So it's kind of mixed there. And then I know I know uh, one thing for you is you kind of like to stay in uh, your 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 really niche uh, town. Uh, Are you starting to expand out and look at other towns for other investment opportunities?
0: Yeah, I am now because um, before it was a uh, efficiency of property management um which i kept tight in an area and i don't do property management anymore myself so um now yeah i have the ability to yeah. to have the property management take care of those properties wherever they are and i think it was a um, a confidence level thing too in terms of you know you get you know you're you like the area that you know right so you get
1: comfortable um, yeah oh yeah, yeah you get,
0: exactly you get comfortable um and now that i'm now it's numbers to me. It's not like a comfort thing. It's just a, it's just a spreadsheet, um, which the mindset has changed with that, which is nice because you realize there's a lot of good areas around that you can, you know, invest in real estate and it all comes down to just numbers. So when you have that, you know, it's good. So yeah, I'm looking out more and expanding the horizons. I would love to expand all around Western mass, um, to kind of feel it out before I go to like different States, but that's definitely on the the radar at some point is to, to get out there in different states and, uh, open it way up. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you do that, the opportunities will go along with it. So, I mean, you know, go in different markets, you find different people, meeting different people, finding different deals In some markets, you know, uh, you know, you can make a, a 10% return per se, um, or a 10% cap, um, and then another market you make 15% cap, 20% cap. And so they all they're all different. They all have different pros and cons with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's it really depends on what you want to do as an investor and your long term uh, plan for. It and just finding markets that coincide with that very well. And, uh, you know, when you're able to do that and change your mindset there, which it's, it's crazy how powerful our mindset is, um, then you're able to go find markets that really make sense with your long-term vision. Uh, so yeah, man, that's that's definitely incredible. Uh, so I don't wanna take up too much of your time here. I got a couple more questions here. Uh, what is one piece of advice you'd give to a new investor just getting started?
0: Ooh, I don't know. I've, I've heard too many bigger pockets, so I, I've heard all the advice. Um, to a new investor just getting started, I would say put all your focus on finding deals because if you can find deals, you can do anything. You will you find the deal, you find the money. Um, you know you'll learn. You can partner with somebody. You can do everything, but don't be scared to go out and find the deal. Um, and the other thing I see a lot, just kind of I'll answer two kind of things, but get someone to close that deal for you. If you find a potential deal, I see a lot of uh, newer investors not know how to close it, or they try to close something that's not actually a deal. So getting a mentor that can tell you, hey, that's a deal or that's not a deal, and then close it or not close it for you is huge. Because you'll just waste a ton of time just chasing people who are never a deal to begin with. Um, But learn how to find deals.
1: Yeah, man, I love that. I mean, it, it's it's crazy because you actually gave me that piece of advice a few years ago, and uh, you know, look look what I did with it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I created the whole company on doing that with your your single piece of advice right there, man. I mean, nice. I remember you telling me about how you're able to buy properties, use other people's money and not use any of your own money. And uh, all you got to do is just find the deal, strategize, um, you know, turn it into a deal really, and come up with a game plan, like a business plan, essentially for it and then manage it. And uh, you know, that, that completely changed my mindset hearing that, and, you know, hearing that from you and a couple other people, it's like, all right, you know, all you need is a deal and then the rest will follow the money will follow the partnerships will follow um everything else you really need to know will follow as well even the educational aspects so go there find the deals definitely if you have a mentor on your side like that that it's almost essential if you don't know how to run numbers yourself um you know you got to either spend a lot of time educating yourself on being able to see what a deal is and what a deal isn't. And that can be market focused. I mean, I know over in Boston, I was talking to you, John, about the other day, a heavily thing that uh, investors do over here are condo conversions. And if, if you didn't know that, you're looking at a deal, you're saying, all right, this wouldn't make sense to BERT because the numbers don't make sense. But I could turn these into condos and then um, sell those. And that's a deal now, right? So now I can disguise the, the limit or I could buy this property and Airbnb it out. You know, So you got to know all these different options. You got to have the education there, or you got to have a mentor by your side uh, helping you out, which is really hard probably to do unless you can provide them immense amount of value. And if you're out there getting started in real estate, the biggest value you can bring to an investor, and I'm sure John, you could attest, is bringing them a good deal. So, if you constantly are bringing in someone like John or myself like deals that, like, you know, people are motivated, they, they want to sell, they're, they're very interested. You've spoken to them already, you already have numbers, all their information, why they want to sell. Uh, pictures of the property, condition of the property, uh, when do they want to sell, all this information, you bring it to someone like us, You know, we'll help you. We're going to help you because there, there's benefit in it for us. But if you're just coming up to us like, hey, um, I need you for this, I need you for that without providing value up front, you're never going to really get it unless you just get someone that's super nice. But realistically, someone like John and myself, like, we're pretty busy. You know, We're running our own numbers on deals and stuff. So uh, to sit back and run your numbers as well is, is a lot of work for us. Uh, so you got to um, bring some value to the table, I'd say. But I love that piece of advice uh, it's, it's, it's great. Cause it definitely brought me, uh, to where I'm going right now. So I, I thank you for that. Now, uh, where can, uh, people find more about yourself, connect with you and maybe even uh, learn more about eXp, um, with talking with you and maybe even join your team as a real estate agent.
0: Yeah. I'm uh, you know, social media, um, is the main thing. Um, John M Glenn is, you know, John Glenn are all my social media channels. um, Or you can hit me up in an email, westernmasshomes at Um, gmail.com, M-A-S-S, homes is plural, westernmasshomes at gmail.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And Glenn with two N's there. And I will put all that information in the show notes as along with this uh, podcast as well. And um, yeah, that's it. So John, that was all the questions I have for you today. I know I learned a lot from listening to your exciting real estate journey and I'm sure our listeners did as well. I really appreciate your time and you know, good luck continuing doing everything you've got going on right now. And thank you for sharing your experience.
0: Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. This was great. It was uh, fun chatting it up again. So I appreciate you having me on.
1: Definitely brother. Until next time.
0: All right, man. Take care.